Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Well, here we are on lockdown. How are you? It's Booker of the Perez Hilton Podcast with Chris Booker. We get it. We know you're bored. We're still doing shows. We're keeping you up to date with everything entertainment. A little bit of relief from everything that's going on in the world. You could get the show on Spotify. You could get it on your Apple Podcasts or the Podcast One app. Whatever you do, download it, subscribe, and get the PHP, the Perez Hilton Podcast with Chris Booker. And everything that's entertainment will be covered. Welcome to Real GM Radio. I am Daniel Rue, your host, and so hyped to have you with us for this episode. My guest is Sam Vecini of The Athletic, colleague, longtime friend of the show, one of my favorite guests, and we have a lot to talk about. I mean, the draft lottery happened about a week ago, and there's some really interesting ramifications from that. And then also, of course, we have the playoffs going on. And so that gave Sam and I a lot of ground to go through and the, really the, the interesting results of the draft and how it affects potentially trades and everything else moving forward. So a lot of great stuff here. This episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Use that podcast one promo code to get a sign-up bonus and also to tell them you came from us. And hope you enjoy the episode. Thank you so much for coming on. Danny, I'm always happy to be here. It's uh it is fantastic. We are uh we're, we're finally know what the draft order is going to look like at least for now and it's at least going to be an enjoyable uh an enjoyable part of this draft process to hopefully get it out of the way once we know when the draft is because everything continues to be up in the air. Uh, I think that a lot of these players that I've talked to certainly would prefer it if we could uh, get this process done with, because I think they finally want to know what the, where they're going and uh, you know, uh, have some sort of timetable. Is there going to be a combine? We still don't know. Is there going to be uh, a draft date change? We still don't know. So I'm excited that we get to talk about this again and talk about just some of the, weird, strange intricacies of the way that this thing is going to play out over the next uh, somewhere between two and four months. Yeah. So I was on a walk earlier today and I was thinking about how to put this draft in historical context. And what I was thinking about was, generally speaking, I think of drafts as having an inflection point at the first juncture where we're genuinely unsure what is going to happen. And so that could be, we don't know which player is going to be selected. It could be maybe that pick is going to be sure. traded, you know, some some combination. And usually from like I was running through my brain, usually that's second, third, or fourth pick. You know, like usually the first pick is pretty well locked in the 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 Anthony Bennett draft is is an anomaly here. There are a few others too. And what really strikes me about this draft is not after the lottery, like because the lottery made this more interesting. We given the the structure before, we didn't really know who was going to. We probably didn't know who's going to go number one. But now, what makes this draft so compelling and challenging is we know who has the number one pick. But we don't know who's going to use it or who they who they are going to use it on. And that is yep. crazy. Yeah, I'm so glad that we're just like kind of assuming that uh, we don't know who's going to have the pick because Gerson Rosas has proven in his time as the Minnesota Timberwolves general manager that or president of basketball operations. I'm sorry for misquoting Gerson's job title, but we he's proven that he is the most if not the most, maybe the most aggressive general manager in the NBA. 
there is not a circumstance where he's not going to listen to offers uh, for this pick, in my opinion. He is absolutely going to see what comes in. I think that there's a question in terms of what offers will most appeal to him. Knowing the way that he has operated to this point and knowing the way that guys that come from the Daryl Morey school of uh, team building tend to think, I don't believe that it will necessarily be a circumstance where Gerson is trying to improve this team for 2020, 2021. I think he's thinking of this as more of a window to improve. And I think genuinely he's going to take whatever he perceives to be the most value on the table. Like, I don't think he is, uh, that could be standing pat by the way. Like if he gets, if he thinks that the player that he has rated number one overall on his board is a better value than whatever offers come in, come draft night or come two weeks before the draft, which by the way, again, we still don't know when the draft date is. I think he might decide to take it or might decide to keep the pick at that point. But I don't think it's going to be a circumstance where he's deciding between helping the team now and doing a deal that you know helps them immediately because they have D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns. I think he's going to take the deal that just has the most value and then try to make more trades based off of getting all of that value uh, into his system. You know what I mean? I do. And I think that a good a kind of a good way of explaining that is with the, the deal that they made at the trade deadline. So the, the way I interpret it is that while Rosas was open to the possibility. Of I'm league, sorry, which which deal? Yeah. OK, you're, yeah, you're saying I, I was like, it up, like the over, they made two, the, obviously. The overall yeah. deal. So they so basically they were trading Robert Covington and instead of getting two first round picks. They moved one of those first round picks to the Denver Nuggets for Malik Beasley and Juancho Hernan Gomez. I do not think that Rosas did that knowing that Malik Beasley was going to score a ton of points or knowing or being totally confident that Beasley was going to be their shooting guard of the future or however we wanted to define it. I think right. it was an asset play. It was these two players are about to be restricted for agents in even what we knew at that time was going to be an extremely narrow market now due to circumstances far outside of anyone's prediction or control. It has become even narrower due to the due to the projections that the cap is going to drop and everything else. And so basically the idea was we would rather have a first round pick and then these two guys rather than two first round picks. And I, I think that was, especially in their circumstance, I think that was the right decision to make. And the, you know, the cap holds didn't really matter. Minnesota's with, with Russell and Towns wasn't really going to be a cap space team. And so I think from that deal was a real, was a real explanation of, of Rosas's pragmatism. And it looks like that's going to work out in their favor. We don't we don't know that for sure because you you know all it takes is one team really liking one of those two players to drop that value somewhat precipitously. But I don't expect that to happen. I, I think that they're going to end up getting a, a pretty decent advantage. And even if let's say Malik Beasley signs his qualifying offer for whatever reason, then you know you still get him at that reasonable number for a year and everything else, and and you you have a chance to sign them with bird rights as a free agent in twenty twenty one. So I, I think that. That deal in particular kind of shows the idea of, well, what makes the most sense for the team in like kind of in the abstract? What makes the most sense for them moving forward? Not necessarily, oh, Beasley, perfect fit with Towns or with Russell. This is where the team is going. It's just what, what is the, what is the way that I can make that I can have the highest talent level for this team moving forward? Right. I think Minnesota is firmly still in asset accumulation mode 
with a window to try and be good in 2021-22 and 2022-23. I know the Carl Towns is signed for 2023-2024, but I think that they're probably going to have to make a decision on Carl and if they are competing, uh, frankly, as soon as the summer of 2022, but once that summer rolls around and they hopefully have a core that they're looking to feel confident in uh, after the preceding two years that still have yet to play out, they're then going to have two years to make a decision. Uh, And I think that potentially moving Carl Towns should start to be a conversation in 2022. We should not be uh, anywhere near the conversation of them considering moving him right now but i do think that they need to be building long term uh and i guess like it's like shortish medium term right not even necessarily you know trying to trying to build a team to compete in 2024 necessarily they're trying to build a team to compete in 2022 and 2023 so in that vein, I actually disliked the Beasley and Hernan Gomez deal for similar reasons to why you liked it. I would have actually rather had the first round pick. And the reason for that is they actually could have been a cap team in or uh, a cap space team. I'm sorry. In the summer of 2021, uh, they're at what is it? 65 million right now with. D'Angelo Russell, Carl Towns, and Jake Lehman under add six million for Jarrett Culver. That gets them to seventy-two. Uh, add four million for Josh Koji. That gets them to seventy-six, and then ten million for the number one overall pick. Let's say even say potentially. Let alone if they decide to move that and bring in you know the number eight overall pick, where that number gets split into you know what a third, something like that. They actually could have had very real cap space if they wanted to have real cap space over the course of the next couple of years. And I think that I would have rather had that depending on what they can do with Malik Beasley this summer. One thing that I do think may have played into the calculus with Rosas, though, is the ability to use these guys in sign-in trades potentially as well. Uh, Malik Beasley... The other, the other alternative, if you're talking about 2021, is if you can get Beasley for a below market deal, then you move him on that below market deal in the future. Like, right. So my count, uh, my and, counter, and I, I think that your theory is sound. Like, I think that there is a right. there is a cogent logic to it. However, for me, the, the, what what makes me push back is there are so few teams that have significant existing obligations then and the free agent class while it is deep is not so deep that i think minnesota is going to be a high-end suitor for most of the players that really move the needle like even the victor oladipos and drew holidays of the world as unrestricted free agents i think they're going to have more interesting suitors um depending on how you know things could change obviously and so i i think that cap space for non-premium markets or non-illogical suitors it's actually going to be in a weird way lower because like I've always brought up the idea that cap space doesn't have to just be to sign a max free agent. It can be any number of other right. things, including being a facilitator. And we've saw, we've seen teams do very well there. Memphis last year getting that first round pick from the Warriors. and Or Indiana taking T.J. Warren. Yes, Indiana taking T.J. Warren, another, another really good example. 
So I, I think that there, but here's the thing. There are so many teams that are, their books are going to open exactly then that I don't think right. there's going to be as much of a need for facilitation. There will be some, inevitably, because there will be, like, that's the way of the world is that if, like, let's say two great players want to play together, you will see a team move it. But here, so there are twin problems. One, I don't think there are as many obligations that need to be moved. There are a lot of guys like Rudy Gay and LaMarcus Aldridge and DeMar DeRozan, I'm using all the Spurs guys for some reason, who have big money contracts, but they expire in 21. So, like, they're, right. they don't really make sense in this paradigm. Then the other thing Right, is, Drew, Drew Holiday is the one that I brought up to you in a conversation yes, a couple yes, days ago. And, and I want to get there. But so I, I think that for – so the problem there is that there aren't there aren't that many teams that could desperately be clearing space, and there are more teams that will be, be available as facilitators. Now, some teams will take themselves out of that mix because, because they'll think they're doing something with their space, and then they won't do anything with their space, and that'll be their loss. Like that is going to happen. But I just think there are so many teams that none of them can wield power like some of the teams did last year. Yeah, and I mean the Clippers, incidentally, played both sides of it. They did that in the Harkless deal, and then and then move, and then made all the other moves they did to get Paul George. And so I think that it's Minnesota. I think they're just they're they're too low in the pecking order for it to matter. But the, the, the theory of it is sound, and I could be wrong. I could be wrong that the pecking order changes. Minnesota's higher in any number of things, and there's more upside in that than there is in Malik Beasley and Juancho Hernan Gomez. To be sure, I just think that the upside is a little bit faint. But now let's get to the other really interesting idea, which is we brought up Minnesota potentially trading this pick, and there are a number of different ways it could happen, and they could theoretically trade it, trade this pick and move their timeline in a lot of different directions. Now, I don't think they can be a like title contender right away. I don't think the pick has that kind of value. I don't think their surrounding talent is good enough. But they could instead move this pick into a very good player right now, and that potentially makes them better immediately. It, it presumably would. And it also potentially could, depending on who they get with it, could be a way to still maintain that 2022 to 24 window because right. that player will still be good. Right. I don't think that they should be acquiring someone with the express purpose of getting good now. They should be acquiring someone with the express purpose of being good in 2022 and 2023 and beyond that. Uh, if that player is good now, like I brought up the idea of Drew Holiday a minute ago, right? And I'll bring up a few other names that I've really been thinking about. Um, Drew Holiday expires at the end of the 2021 year. If they could convince Drew Holiday to take an extension, which I believe would be, and you would be smarter on this than I am, I believe it would be two years, like 61 million, something like that. Well, so if they, uh, basically, if he declines his declines his player option, player option. for twenty one twenty two, you can give a twenty percent raise on twenty six million. So the starting salary would be around thirty, and then right. you can run out. It can add. Um, I think it could add three new seasons. So you could do I rough, rough, just back of my brain calculation, <laughs> something like three years, ninety three million, something like that. Um, yeah, which is a significant amount of money. Like that's not you know you could make an argument that Holiday as one of the high mo most in demand unrestricted free agents that could potentially be changing teams. I mean that class is ridiculous, but a lot of the guys I wrote about this at the Athletic of the Siren Song is that a lot of the guys like Kawhi and Paul George like we don't expect them to change teams. So it's a great class full of those kind of guys. But 
Drew Holiday, we don't know what he wants, but he could absolutely like want to change teams, want to spend the remainder of his prime somewhere where he's competing for a championship or anything else. And so yeah, I think that Holiday could consider he could consider that's a we also like this gets into something that I've been writing about in the uh, offseason previews is risk aversion is the most important thing for people who are listening to this podcast to be thinking about both from a player and team perspective because COVID-19, everything that's going on is it's changing the way everybody thinks about risk, but we don't know how that's going to manifest in terms of contract and extension negotiations just yet. And we could see people like Drew say, this is a, this is an opportunity. I can, I can get that money. I could, I, whether it's, I want to stay there or theoretically could maneuver my way now more than ever there's a like we can we can appreciate that it nothing is guaranteed and so well and and if you're drew particularly what i wonder about is would you rather be like new orleans can offer this extension yes they can as well like there's there's no reason that it necessarily has to be minnesota um in an extended trade right um i guess if it would be an extent Extend and trade. You can only add. You can only have up to three yeah, seasons. That's, left. that's more restrictive. Right. But it could be. An, it could be. An, it could be a trade with an under with like an under non binding understanding of where things are going. And right. they could. And, and um, also remember theoretically. So the extend and trade rule sunset. You can only. You, there's a certain period of time where you have that. Basically, you can either do it at the time or you can do it for a few months after. But that expires. And theoretically, depending on the timeline of next season, they could agree to a a, a non limited like a less limited extension before. Before he hits free agency, because remember, if you're in the last year of your contract and you're a veteran, not a rookie scale guy, you can extend like the day before free agency. That's totally fine. Right. They could extend. I think it's six. I think like the, I think the it's six months. period is like six months. Right. And they also might change that. Like the league might shift that if, if we're if we're heading into an abridged 2020 slash 21 season, they might move some True. of those rules around because it's all collectively bargained and they're already going to have to be collectively bargaining. So maybe they shift a couple of those things. But yeah, you want to bring up some other guys that are possibilities. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, one of the other guys I brought up was someone who doesn't need an extension and someone who actually fits really nicely into a specific trade uh, expiring contract in James Johnson. And that's Karis LeVert. Like we talk a lot about how the Nets are have all these ball handlers, right? And have all these guys that are going to require having the ball in their hand while not necessarily all being elite level shooters. Me personally, if I was the Nets, I would want to keep Karis LeVert because that dude is a killer in the playoffs. Like we've seen it the last two years that his ability to get shots and his ability to create plays is very very valuable because having guys that are six foot seven who can handle the ball and who are as shifty as he is and as creative as he is don't grow on trees having said that if you're the nets you don't necessarily want the number one overall pick so it would be like part of a three-team deal where the nets are using the number one overall pick to bring in something that they do particularly want but in the case of minnesota you didn't really like the idea of Karis LeVert. Uh, I, I do. I think it makes a lot of sense for them. They need a really great ball creator wing. And I think that part of the reason that I might be a little bit more in on Karis is this like it, – it's frankly delusional on my part at this stage. But like I still have a hope that he's going to shoot it better. Uh as he continues to mature throughout his career, this is a guy who knocked down over 40% of his threes, each of his last three seasons in college. And so far in his career in the NBA has been nowhere near that. Like he's been down around, I think it's is the number 32 off the top of my head. That sounds about right. Yeah. So like 
frankly, I understand like we have more of a sample of him in the NBA not being a great shooter than we do of him in college where he was a great shooter. This is probably delusional on my part, but like I think he's going to improve as a shooter well, so to the he, point he where was, he is. He was 36% this year, career 34. Great. Awesome. Like I, I think that that's where I'm at though. Like, and that's why I look at him as someone. And, and I think that Brooklyn would probably have to toss in like the 19th pick as well going Minnesota's way because – Look, if you're turning the number one overall pick into Karis LeVert, that's probably not a great outcome at the end of the day for the number one overall pick, right? Even though I love Karis and think he is a very valuable player, I do think Brooklyn would probably be happy to toss in the number 19 overall pick yeah, for someone. Uh, yeah, like they could do Karis LeVert 19 for number one and James Johnson. Like, I kind of think that that's a really good deal for Minnesota. They still have picks 17 and 19. They could use those two to jump back into the lottery if they really wanted to. Um, but I, I don't know that that is something that they'd necessarily have interest in. It also has the added benefit of everyone on their roster being kind of on the same timeline because Karis LeVert uh, also is a great contract as well at $17 million a year over the next three years. Uh and that's right when D'Angelo Russell's deal expires. So it would kind of give them a, the ability to all be on the same timeline and shift this thing around if it doesn't work. But I do think it would work. Yeah, I'm a little bit less sold on Levert there just because I think that your primary action, and while I disagreed with the D'Angelo Russell trade, the part of it was, okay, you're going to build a lot off of a Carl Anthony Towns and somebody pick and roll. And whoever's not involved in that primary action has to be able to shoot. And the theory is... Minnesota with Towns and Russell is not going to be a great defensive team. And so in order to be a, a good to very good team, they're going to need to be elite on one end and then hopefully passable on the other. And to be elite, I think that you have to have that kind of force spacing. Like that's the way the way to really get it. And so Levert, I think he passes the threshold of you probably should guard him when he doesn't have the ball. But it's it, it's, it just seems like it's a little bit of of overlap. And now you can argue that overlap is a useful thing if both players are good because Russell can shoot too. So you could you could run some stuff with each of those guys and then the other players are going to be lower usage, better defensive players, you know, maybe in the mold of a Mikhail Bridges, let's say. That, that's sort of an idea. So it's not terrible. Which, which by the way, <laughs> they moved the ideal guy. Rocco? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, like, absolutely. But but he wasn't on the right timeline. I mean, like Covington, very no, he wasn't. Covington, very good player. Um, and oh, I'm very happy with his place on the Rockets. But like this Minnesota team, it's going to take time for them to figure it out. They're they're and their their guys are you know on the front side of the age curve. That's the way it works out. But something I wanted to get into with this pick that I think it's so interesting with Minnesota's perspective, more so than the Warriors. Well, can, can, too. can I can I talk about one thing with Russell yes, and Towns that I think is actually going to be really important before we move on? Um, the big thing with D'Angelo Russell is that if you have a big who can switch on to him, he's just going to be a little bit less valuable, right? Because he isn't someone that has like a crazy amount of burst. He needs a ball screen to be able to create offense. The big thing that playing with someone like Carl Towns does is it makes it exceptionally hard to play a switch defense on right. them, in my opinion. That's why I, because I, I, liked, you... I liked the trade for Russell more than I liked it for the Wolves. Right. I would not have made the trade either. I agree with you. I understand that like there are personal connections there with Carl and keeping him happy is basically importance one, two, and three for Minnesota. But I'm too worried about their defense. Having said that, David Vanterpool is a very good defensive coach. They're going to play a really good drop coverage scheme. It's going to be very similar to what Portland does, very similar to what Milwaukee does. 
Um, the thing that <laughs> concerns me, though, is that Russell is also a particularly bad fit in that defensive scheme. Because as we've seen within the construct of that defensive scheme, it's critically important for guards to be able to get over the top of screens. And that's something that Russell has struggled with over the course of his career. He doesn't really recover well because he doesn't have great recovery speed, uh, doesn't have great recovery length. And for as good as the offensive combination is going to be between those two, I worry substantially about what the defensive combination is going to be uh, in that specific action that they're going to absolutely murder teams with offensively. And and, and so there's another critical, there's a counter to that, which would be theoretically you could have Russell not defend the other team's ball handler, but the problem is then you need somebody else who can't. And well, you you need, well, and they do have someone for what it's worth. Like they do have Josh Kogi, but a Kogi isn't good enough offensively to where you're, able to like really do anything. And then additionally, I don't think that you would just need one good defender on the perimeter. You would need two good defenders. Agreed. They, again, they have two good defenders because I think Jarrett Culver had a pretty solid rookie season defensively for as bad as he was offensively. And if you have both those guys on the court though, with Russell and towns, you're just going to be clogging the paint for them within the action that makes them as good as they are. It, Minnesota is very complicated the way that they're building this roster. And I think that I think Gerson is very smart. I think Gerson Rosas is very, very smart and very, very good at this. I think he is absolutely 100% going to put them in the best position. I am. I see like I see a vision, but I don't know if it aligns with his vision and I don't know how he's going to build this, you know? And, and it might take more time. I mean, that that's, that's the way this sometimes goes. And m- especially with the pieces that they have that are hard to fit, it also might involve some trial and error where I wanted to go is, and I don't want to spend all of this podcast talking about Minnesota, though I do love this situation is the other possibility. So sneak, sneak peek for me though. Like I just wrote, I swear to God, 9,000 words on Minnesota that's yeah. coming out on Monday because yes. all of this is so interesting. You know what I mean? Agreed. And so the other possibility I want to just float briefly is that they could also use this. Is there another way for me to interrupt this possibility? (laughs) Yes, there always is. Um, I'm joking. But what it is, is is the idea of not like we've talked about Drew Holiday and Kara Silver, like guys that are on their second contracts and everything else. They could get a recent draftee as well. Like it it could just be now calibrating value is very difficult there, especially with this considered a a weaker draft. And even in a even if the cap ends up lower, because remember, the rookie scale is tied to the salary cap. Even if it ends up being a little bit cheaper pick, the number one pick is still very expensive um, per season. It's uh, that's the kind of thing that's also really interesting is like that it could theoretically. Now, I don't have anybody firmly like in in mind. I, I, one that is interesting, I'm not saying the value is comparable because to me it's not, but like if they called Sam Presti and said, Hey, we'll, we'll trade you number one for Shea, like I would say no, but I don't know. Again, it's calibrating value. So like somebody who's taken in the last two years, is there somebody there that they think is fair value? Or maybe, maybe it's not that the, the, the recent draftee is a bad player. They're just, maybe it's a poor fit for where they're going. Like I'm sure there'd be some who'd be interested in like RJ Barrett as a possibility here, though. I don't like Barrett with those guys either, but like, you know, like that sort of option. I'm, I don't know who that player yeah. is, but the idea of kind of getting uh, – of each side getting kind of a recent redo. Like I, in a different world, you could see Jaron Jackson Jr. as a possibility here because Jackson and Towns would be fascinating. And he spaces the floor yeah, at the other spot. I, and I have an interesting one. Okay. If you're Denver and I don't think 
that Denver would think this way. I think that they oh, I think I know where you're really going. like the upside that they have. What if it was Michael Porter Jr.? And Denver was just like, <laughs> look, we we parlayed this as a risk for us at 14 into the number one overall pick. We're going to cut our losses in case he gets hurt and in case and he it, doesn't. Go ahead. Also, he's only two years away from restricted free agency, and you assume that restricted free agents are going to be at least close to properly paid. And theoretically, mm-hmm. depending on how Minnesota – felt about that also that's a way for minnesota's offense to go supernova it's like okay let's just put michael porter jr with these guys and just throw throw defense to the wind and just be like okay we're gonna have the number like top we're gonna have a top three offense and you guys can just deal with it and the other possibility there and this is why i actually think that's an interesting thing is minnesota can offer denver something that denver shouldn't value but they might and that is additional financial flexibility so remember that denver is committed to Jokic and murray they Minnesota could theoretically offer something involving Gary. Like, let's say they see the Nuggets like Gary Harris, but they think that 20 million a year is too much for him. Then Minnesota could do something maybe involving James Johnson. Maybe they even find a third team to cut that salary down. And then now all of a sudden Denver is worse, but they're also younger. And and remember, their core, their young core is so young that a small step back isn't the worst thing in the world for them. Right, right. I don't think I would trade the number one overall pick for Michael Porter Jr. Personally. With his, with his health stuff, I wouldn't. But holy yeah. crap, would that be fun? Talent-wise, it would be fascinating. Um I don't know if I could pull the trigger personally. Uh, I would not trade number one. Like if I was Oklahoma City, there's no way I'm giving up Shea uh, for the number one pick in Same. this draft. The problem with 20, 2019 is like it's basically John Morant, Zion Williamson, and then like a bunch of role players right now. Like I, I don't really see anyone that's like a star. Yeah, and, and like the 18 class, the challenge is that there are some really good players, but those teams don't want to move those guys. So Right, so like in the 2017 draft, like there's, I mean, I wouldn't trade number one for John Collins. I don't think, but well, and and if, and also those guys are about to be probably paid. And another possibility here, not that I want to get into it, is it could also be a combination of things. You know, more like what right. the Lakers gave up for Anthony Davis, where it was it wasn't. I mean, they did give up some real blue chip assets, but it's not like this player is worth the number one pick. It's these three guys together are worth about the same thing, and that's a possibility too. Uh, but yeah, I think it's I think it's really really interesting, and also when you consider that some of the most loaded franchises, in terms of like kind of young assets, like you you brought up New Orleans, New Orleans. Let's say there's a deal involving Drew, even if they can't exactly calibrate on value of these pieces, both of them have enough like kind of young guys that you could see going one way or the other. Like maybe Josh Hart is involved in that deal because you know he's a, or Nikhil or. Jackson, right. maybe, maybe not Jackson Hayes. And then from, from Minnesota side, you could see Culver, you could see a Kogi, maybe Amari Spellman as a backup center. Like there are a lot of different ways that you could make a deal involving those two teams work. And so that's one thing that's interesting for me. You're the second person who's brought up Amari Spellman to me today. Am, am I like missing something? He was with him. He was fine with the Warriors. Um, I think that Spellman, the, I think the idea behind him is floor spacing and he was actually kind of okay passable is the line that i would use defensively for the warriors at times that's not a bad combination for a backup five it's not the worst thing in the world like we they're a lot better and the the big problem for spellman is that supply is going against him hard and so that's a that's a challenge and i mean he really hasn't played that he's hasn't played well that much 
and that's a big concern. But I do like if if he's available. I mean, for he's nothing, a six foot eight center. I'm okay with that. I mean, it's it's funny though because he's, there are parallels with him and a few other guys I've talked about where like. In an ideal world, you want your backup to be a competent fill-in starter, and Omari Spellman is not that. Right. And that, so that's that that means he's a lower utility type of guy. Like I've brought up Julius Randle here before. Like I think Julius Randle or Jabari Parker, for example. Like they're they're I think of them as backup level players and talented backup level players. But the problem is when you put them in their starting lineup, it totally messes with your ecosystem. And so like to me, those types of guys are just less valuable. And Spellman doesn't have the same flaws they do, but he also doesn't have the same physical talent that they do. Plenty more to talk about with Sam Vecini, but first a message from Bet Online. Sports are back. NBA playoffs will return on the weekend, NHL playoffs are underway, and Major League Baseball is in full swing. Also, UFC, boxing, NASCAR, and soccer. Bet Online has the best odds and lines for the upcoming games and matches. And make sure to stay tuned at the end of this podcast to hear Adam Carolla interview Bet Online's wagering expert Dave Mason as they discuss the return of sports and what wagering fans can expect to see. And whatever you want to check out on Bet Online, use the Podcast One promo code to tell them you came from us and, of course, get an awesome welcome bonus and if you're looking for something other than sports they have hundreds of live casino games poker tournaments and all the best props in the business they also have simulated nfl nba and ufc happening every day live for you to check out so visit the website or use your mobile device to join today to receive your new sign up bonus and start playing today using the podcast one promo code at bet online your online wagering experts let's go to the golden state warriors i think the warriors are fascinating um getting the number two pick you know that, that was lower than their you know their odds in some respects but also better than the expected value because of the way they balanced it and so the easy tact is to say Stephen Curry Clay Thompson Draymond Green their window is narrowing and that's 100% true and so if you want to go on that then you trade the pick for the player who can help you the most right now and I think that Bob Myers could absolutely be thinking that way there is a justified thing I am interested First of all, in what that player would be. And they have a trade exception. They have Andrew Wiggins. They have a couple different ways to to make a deal in that range happen. They could also do the Andrew Wiggins, incidentally, back when he was a draft pick of the Cavs, pick him, hold it, and then use that for salary matching purposes too. It gets complicated. But what I'm interested in also is the chance that they try to do a best of both worlds approach. And what I mean by that is if there's somebody... I believe it would be LaMelo Ball, who the argument is not that they will be a perfect fit with the current team. It's that the next Warrior star after these guys are all post-prime is going to be very hard to find. They're not going to have many opportunities for a long time. Get that guy in now, lower your ceiling a little bit, but then you have a piece to build around for the next stage. And to me, if it, it's so funny because these two theories are largely offer-dependent. I think that it could end up being that the win-now approach, if somebody really values the number two pick, could be right. But it could also happen, especially if Lamelo is on the board, that those offers are a little bit weak. And while Lamelo is not a perfect fit for this Warriors team, or Wiseman, you could make the same argument if somebody thinks that Wiseman's the best player on the board for them, or Anthony Edwards, if somebody feels that way, that that, that player is basically that the upside long-term, not immediate, is better than what they could get. Like, if it's more of like a Robert Covington-level player, well, Robert Covington's a good guy, but I don't think he's going to swing their title odds so dramatically. I worry about how frustrated the Warriors' core would be if they did that. Like, I, I really have significant concerns about, like, Steph, Draymond, and Clay 
being very frustrated by the idea of them taking something for the future, because I think that they probably would be very frustrated by the so, idea of them taking something for the future. There, there's some there. Absolutely. That could be. But I think those guys also understand where things are going. And remember that if ownership is willing to spend, and that is a gigantic if, they could also use the trade exception, the Iguodal one. So that's worth $17.2 million. They could use that to get somebody who could help them right now. And maybe, you know, like that's more in the like Rudy Gay vein. And that, that would help. And also like the Warriors, with if Looney can be healthy, and we, that's a big if, we don't really know that. Like they're depending on where they're seeing themselves, they might not be far off of like second tier title contention. Like I, to me, to be first tier, that's a lot to ask. That there's some real challenges there. Right. But to be second tier with you know kind of like the Rockets of the world and the Raptors and the Celtics, depending on where those teams are, I, I think that's if they're if the Warriors are healthy, that's totally possible. And there is a really good argument to be made that unless there is stronger value at the two than I think there's going to be, that it's that jumping into that Bucks Clippers Lakers tier is going to be exceedingly hard. Okay, so based off of that, I, I kind of have a couple of places that I want to jump to. So first, I do just want to like I know I'm kind of shifting it back to Minnesota, and we really need to move on away from Minnesota, but Minnesota, in my opinion, in the 2021 season is going to be closer to last place in the West than they are to making the playoffs. Like, unless Gerson just decides to go like all in this summer, which not impossible, but I think I'd be surprised by it. I think that that Warriors pick has a good chance to be a top five pick next year. And I know that they get it. Minnesota keeps it if it's top three pick. I think Minnesota is likely going to be somewhere in like the three to eight range based off of what that roster looks like right now. And in my opinion, there are between three and seven or so guys in that 2021 class that are better than anybody in the 2020 class. Oh, so that's interesting. So basically you're making the argument that even if you go by my theory of best of both worlds, better to do it with the 2021 pick than this one. Yes. That's interesting. And, I uh, and then, and also so. it's harder to trade that pick right now because it's so much more nebulous. So it's better in some ways, it's better to keep it and hold that upside for yourself and then move the pick that everybody knows what it is. Right. And a lot of this is based on thinking that Minnesota is farther away than probably what Minnesota thinks. Like, Again, I really think that Gerson Rosas is very smart and you'd be betting against a very smart person running an organization, which tends not to be a great idea necessarily. But I just don't see how that team isn't in the bottom eight next year defensively. And I don't think they have enough shooting paired with Carl Towns and D'Angelo Russell to be more than like a run of the mill offense next year. Maybe like let's say they're 12th in offense and 25th in defense, it's probably still a 30 to 35 win team, maybe. Yeah, I agree. Totally agree. So if I was Golden State, I would probably, like you said, use the 2021 pick for the upside, hope that it doesn't stay with Minnesota, use this 2020 pick where even even the guys that are at the top of this 2020 class, I personally don't think that there are great fits with the Warriors in that class necessarily. Um, 
Onyeka Okongwu is an interesting one because I think he fits everything that they look for in terms of culture. Uh, he's like no nonsense. He's going to play hard. Uh, if they think that there's upside there in him in terms of ball handling and shooting, I would actually buy taking him at number two. But I also think you might be able to move down and get him at number four or number five or number six or number seven. Because just kind of looking across the board, maybe Cleveland takes him. I don't think Atlanta will take him and Chicago certainly can't take him unless they're going to be moving on from Lowry Markinen and Wendell Carter. Frankly, at the very least Carter, they would have to move on from at that stage. Detroit could theoretically take him, but if I was Troy Weaver, I'd probably be trying to get a perimeter player in there as my first pick. Uh, the Knicks already have Mitchell Robinson. And by the way, like I think the idea of Mitchell Robinson is an interesting one for Golden State. Like I would wonder if I could move number two and you know, number two for Mitchell Robinson and something. But I, I don't I don't I don't know what and I, by the way, if I'm the Knicks, I'd be trying to trade Mitchell Robinson this summer because I think that I wouldn't want to pay Mitchell Robinson going forward as I'm still rebuilding. But that's a conversation for well, later me, on in this podcast. A, a quick note on the Mitchell Robinson thing is he has the contract. I describe this as the Jokic, which is a fourth year team option, which if you decline it, he so either you pick up the team option and then he makes the makes his minimum for that season. This is for 21-22. Or you decline it and make him a restricted free agent. So really, assuming the team values restricted free agency control over, you know, basically you'd have to, to me, you'd have to be really sure that a guy's coming back in order to, to pick up that, to pick up that team option, to not, to not risk it. So basically Mitchell Robinson is severely underpaid for one more year. And maybe that's fine, you know, like for, for, for team X, but maybe it's not. And so that, yeah, it is the Mitchell Robinson part of this is fascinating. Yeah. The Knicks can't pick up that option. I don't think. Like, no, I, I, I don't think so. I, I don't think anybody can. Honestly, like I would be very skeptical if a team picked up that option that there wasn't some sort of under the table deal. Right. Like there would be a legit investigation. I feel like, because remember that Robinson also you can't really pick up that option and then agree to like we talked about the extensions that like some of the extensions that could theoretically be on the table or actually we talked about that before we recorded for Devonte Graham and some of these other guys. I don't think that's enough money for Mitchell Robinson, probably. So I, I, I couldn't see that as being acceptable to him right now, like, you know, or, or a year from now being like, oh, yeah, oh, that's fine. I'll take $10 million a year instead of being a free agent right now, um, especially. In- it's actually a great question. If I was Mitch, would I take that money? I probably wouldn't. I probably wouldn't, um, and I don't. I really don't think. I mean, players bet on themselves all the time. I mean, we're going to see that with Chris Dunn. We saw it. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. It, it it really does depend. But players are generally very confident, and that confidence is important. But yeah, I think that's a big question. But so yeah, the Warriors and, and like yeah, I think I agree with you that a Kong Wu, from what I've heard, is a better fit for them. Kind of like in that like culture type of element. I think that they also need to be thinking of kind of protecting themselves in case especially Draymond just isn't that guy anymore. And that's why I think Okongwu or Wiseman has some appeal because yes, the team is very different with Wiseman than they are with Draymond, but he could end up being a great defender. And remember the whole point of the Warriors is great offensively and then very good defensively. And so if they can do that with Wiseman, then maybe you, if Draymond's the one who ages out first, you can find it, you can hedge a little bit with him. I don't know that they're going to take Wiseman. I really, they've been like leaking every single like different thing across the board 
which I think is really smart on their part. Like at one point, the leak was that they liked Wiseman. At one point, it was that they like a Kongwu better than Wiseman, that they like Tyrese Halliburton in the guard class a little bit better. Like I think the Warriors have done kind of a great job so far of masking what they actually want to happen. Well, maybe it's because here's the here's the other thing. First of all, I think a lot of that's because they want to trade the pick. And remember that yes. the idea that I brought up at the very beginning of the inflection point and that it's when you know when 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 things become uncertain. And what the Warriors are trying to convey to teams is if you have a player that you want, the only way to be sure you can get that player is to trade with us. Now, Minnesota can make the same argument and make it better, but eventually there might be intel. You know, like that's it's a little bit different. But whether that's Lamelo, whether that's Edwards if he falls, whether that's Wiseman, and sure, in this draft it's weird. Charlotte will probably make the same argument unless they have somebody they like and just draft. But that's, I think, what the Warriors are getting at is this, okay, You even if it's not a player that we quote-unquote like, remember, we're talking to everybody. So if there's somebody you like and you want to be sure that you get them, the only way to do that right. is through us. And so, like, that's why I think it's going to eventually become the LaMelo Ball pick is I think whoever ends up with that pick is going to take Ball if the Wolves if the wolves or whoever else takes Edwards number one. And whether that's the Knicks, whether that's, I don't know, any number of other teams, whether that's, you know, could be New Orleans. Maybe New Orleans sees LaMelo as the thing and they already have Lonzo. Maybe Lonzo's not involved in the trade. Maybe it's Drew. Maybe Drew's involved and goes to the Warriors instead of the Wolves. Like, there are a bunch of different ways this could work. And I think that saying, like, LaMelo Ball comes through us is a really logical way to go. How the hell would the Warriors end up with Drew Holiday? Like, it'd have to be involving Wiggins, I guess. There are a couple of complicated possibilities. It it might involve Wiggins. They could theoretically – it would be complicated, but they could use the trade exception. Oh, I have an idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Use the trade exception to get a player and then sign the first – sign the number one pick. Those two things combined would equal it. That's another way to do it. Um, now they would have to yeah. wait. They would have to wait long enough to consummate the second deal to make it that it wasn't circumvention. Like that, people have said, "Oh, a step, a stair step trade." I my theory is that if a stair step trade happened, meaning that the Warriors trade for a player and then use that player immediately in a trade for somebody who makes more than the exception, that the league would strike it down for circumvention. That is my firm belief. I have no intel on it. That is my firm belief, though, because. It violates the spirit of a trade exception. However, if you wait long enough and the deal isn't announced, I think it's kind of okay. So you think that even if Golden State, for instance, traded or like used the Are trade exception to bring Are we going to bring Minnesota back in because James Johnson is the most logical guy here? Yeah, this is who I've been bringing up for a long time is James Johnson into this exception because that gets you to 16 and it brings the number up to, I believe, like 20.1 you can bring in in a trade. But so, also you can combine that with another player. Right. That's what I was going to say. You could then combine James Johnson with like Jordan Poole and Smiley Geach. And that's probably if it's not Drew Holiday, it's damn close to being able to be feasible well, for Drew or, Holiday. Or sign the number two pick. No must, no fuss. Yeah. I guess you could just sign the number two pick and just wait. Yeah. The Andrew Wiggins thing, which is confusing because yeah, Andrew Wiggins is also on this team. But um, God, that'd be so weird. Drew Holiday, Stephen Curry, Clay Thompson, Andrew Wiggins and Draymond Green. 
what a weird team that would be. Yeah, but like, it could also be like it, there. It could also be a circumstance where New Orleans, New Orleans has a bunch of other stuff. Like maybe that those things go somewhere else, and then that player goes to the Warriors. Like it's what's so crazy about it is I think a lot of these front offices might be considering this non-linearly, just because there are so many teams that want different things, and it's it's this is weird. Like so, yeah, I could I, I could see all like yeah, it's it it could go in so many different directions. Um, I want to talk. If, here, here would be my question. This is more of a base question though, sure. on the Warriors. If they were to combine the number two pick and just use it with the seventeen point two million dollar trade exception, mm-hmm. who do you think is the best player they could get? Oof. I've been struggling with this one a lot. Yeah, because like, so technically speaking, Miles Turner makes too much money to fit in the exception, so it would have to be a stair step, and you run into all those problems. Um, I'm telling you, I really don't think the league would. If they brought in James Johnson and then moved James Johnson the number two pick for Miles Turner, I don't think the league would call that circumvention. You know who would be a really fun guy for the NBA? I'm not saying he's the best because like I haven't thought about this enough to give you a great answer. Is TJ Warren qualifies? And can you imagine the piece of arbitrage if the if the Indiana Pacers got him for a second round with a second round pick and then traded TJ Warren for the second pick? I mean that would be hilarious, but I don't I don't know. Do you? think that's like i think Warren's plausible. actually a pretty good fit for the warriors but i don't think that he's the yeah. next best player available i mean like wouldn't you rather do oladipo it's risky and um, assume that you can just sign victor maybe because you can't extend and trade him just because he's going to be making more than that i mean maybe maybe i'm wrong on that maybe he would sign a you know three-year 75 million dollar extension just to like lock in his money after the injuries yeah, but I, I don't think that would happen, though. To be honest, it, it's interesting though because the the most logical thing for the Warriors to add would be a wing, and there aren't really many, many that wings in that price range, and there aren't that many wings anyway that teams are willing to part with because they're so valuable. That goes along with the idea of people who go back and listen or who have listened to the Real Jam radios we've done over the years talking about like just drafting wings higher, you know, basically just devaluing right. everything else. And that's a part of why you see that. But theoretically, like that's why I brought up with Wiseman and with Akongwu. Theoretically, is maybe you actually could do that for a a centerish guy, and then you're 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 protecting a little bit if Draymond's not what you hope he could be um, moving forward. And yeah, he's under contract and all that. But I think I think you could make that work. But yeah, there aren't that many clear cut. Like it, it's even if like we're we're devaluing the number two pick compared to the a normal year, there just aren't that many clear fits. I'm trying to think if there's like another recent drafty like in a similar boat to how we did, like how we were talking about at number one, like is there just a recent draftee that the Warriors would be happy with that they would take at number two? Or I don't essentially think, be happy I don't for, think for of, number two? I don't two. think either of the Hawks' young perimeter guys, so uh, Trey, I'm talking about DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reddish, not Trey. Um, I don't think that either of them is a great fit. What if you did the stair-step trade, got James Johnson within that money, took on Dwayne Dedman's money and did two out of DeAndre Hunter, Cam Reddish, and Ke- Kevin Herter. Interesting. And number two. Yeah, I, th- I think – well, also remember, I don't know, Dedman's connection to the Warriors is also fascinating because the, he was like – basically it looked like the Warriors were going to go after him, but then Zaza Pachulia said yes, and then he ended up going to the Spurs. So yeah, that, that could right. – and I actually think Dedman's a nice fit with the Warriors. I've liked, I've liked his fit there for a while. Yeah, I mean I, you could also theoretically throw like Karis LeVert – you know, like you can go to some of these other ones too. Like, I don't think Levert's a great fit with the Warriors, but you know, capable player makes makes around the right money. Um, Levert actually fits neatly within the Iguodala exception, so there's no need for a stair step. 
it's wild. Levert for two would be very interesting to me. And, and also remember that would create I, a big trade exception for, Minis- for for Brooklyn, and then Brooklyn could use that for something else. Right, and the number two, and essentially we'd be back in the same spot where Brooklyn would be using their uh, – I think that Karras is at like 17-1, isn't he? He's at, next year he's at 16. Um, 16-2. So 16-2. So it would be 16-2. So we'd just be like slightly moving down in terms of the available player pool Yeah. in terms of what we could do. And by the way, the funniest part of that is is that – a $16.2 million trade exception with Karis LeVert. That is the exact amount of money, just like slightly lower for James Johnson. So it would still keep Minnesota on the table as a stair step option. It's crazy. Um, yeah. So I think we, we could talk about these things all day, but I want to move on. I think the other under underplayed because of what happened at the top, Charlotte and Chicago moving up really does open possibilities for them. We don't know exactly who's going to be on the table. And like you have in your in your first mock, you had Charlotte taking Lamella Ball, which I think would be truly fascinating, and Chicago taking Isaac Okoro. But just moving up, you know, a few picks in the draft for both them teams that I I think even with this are probably still stuck on the treadmill of mediocrity for the most part. It's still a much better opportunity for Mitch Kupchak and Arturis Konishovitz than they would have had otherwise. Yes, it is. I think that for Arturis as a new GM, it's going to be very intriguing to see the option and the route that he goes. I think that I probably would change that pick already. Like I think that Danny Avdia would make a lot of sense there for Chicago for a number of reasons, just because Arturis is one of the better international scouts uh, across the NBA in addition to being just a very, very smart basketball mind who is obviously going to be running the show in Chicago. Um, I really wonder what he decides to do with Lowry Markinen this summer and with like Otto Porter and Zach Levine. And like, you could tell me anyone on that roster gets dealt and I don't think I would be totally stunned. Would you? No, not at all. And I mean, when I wrote my bulls offseason preview, the thing I talked about a lot. And at that point we didn't know what was going on with Jim Boylan for sure was internal evaluation for the bulls is almost as important as external evaluation. And so what does he see as their backcourt of the future? You know, like they could potentially move Zach Levine. They could get a replacement. They could see, he could see Kobe White as being very good or pretty good or wherever you want to go with that. And Chicago, like they're with their young guys, they're getting close to the point where you have to make a decision. You know, like, Markkanen's going to be extension eligible. We're not too far for Wendell Carter, even though he's missed all this time with injury. Kobe White's got a little bit more time. But, like, I'm very interested because, he like, Kardashevitz could wait another year, but I think that moving quickly is beneficial. So I, I think that they could go, yeah, you're right, any player could be dealt. They could also be dealt for anything. Like, I don't think it's – I don't think – Trading for a center is off the table because they have Wendell Carter. I don't think trading or drafting a power forward is off the table because they have Markkanen or Levine or anything like that. I don't think there are any sacred cows in this organization. And that's a very good thing. But <laughs> You're going to be so mad at me with where I take this conversation okay. next, I just realized. Sure, go. <laughs> let's, please, let's bring please Minnesota don't let it be back Minnesota. in. Oh, my God. Would Chicago be interested in using that James Johnson money and taking Zach Levine and Lowry Markkinen if they want to go full offense? And then, like, you know, adding around the margins and everything, right? Like, maybe Minnesota could add number 17. Uh, it'd be, like, number one and number 17 for Zach Levine and Lowry Markkinen. I mean, Markkinen, they could also do like that trade not involving in picks at all. I mean, they could, but they don't have to involve picks, theoretically. Like, the number one and number three picks don't have to be in- involved if they want to do a trade involving Zach Levine and James Johnson. It might be to get Carter. Are you, 
I was saying that the Bulls wouldn't involve their number four pick at all. That if you're if you're Minnesota, you just take Levine and Lowry Markinen for the number one pick. And like I think Minnesota would probably have to add something else into that because that's a lot. Yeah, I mean, they could add for that. One pick, but, but you you think the number one pick is insufficient for those guys? I, I mean, look. In, see, this is what's I'm hard for me. On, I am lower on both Markinen and Levine than almost everybody else. So. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think that that would be two of the elite shooters. And, you know, in Levine's case, a terrific shot creator. Uh, obviously, this team has defensive concerns, but you put Lowry Markinen, Carl Anthony Towns, D'Angelo Russell, and Zach Levine on the same court. That is a top five offense, like it'd, from day one. It'd be fascinating. And, I and mean, also, Beasley Minnesota, well. like, Minnesota has all of these other. Beasley's complicated because it's the sign and trade part of it. But all of they have also have a lot of like sweeteners that aren't the number one pick, which could potentially be interesting here. Like maybe Culver would be interesting to the Bulls. Maybe Layman or Kogi or like I mean maybe like like Nasri like as lower level guys. Now Minnesota can't trade a lot of picks out into the future because of the obligation with the Warriors. They'd have to go deeper into the bag of tricks there. But yeah, yeah, they could be like they could be logical trade partners also in the sense that while Rosas has basically turned over his entire roster, something you and I talked about at the very beginning of this podcast is we don't know if he turned over this roster specifically getting those guys because he likes them or he got those guys because it was the the best use he could see of that resource. So Oh, I definitely think it's the latter for what it's worth. I, I agree I with that, the possible exception of yeah. Culver. Because Yes, with Culver. the with Culver. I agree yeah. with you. And Culver and Russell. They, they moved up. They moved up to get Jarrett Culver. They did not like move back and then just try to like accumulate. That right. w- that was like a targeted approach to go get someone. Yes. You know. Um. So yeah. So Culver and Russell, I would say, are the exceptions there. So yeah, it it, it is interesting. Um. I also don't want to give short shrift to Charlotte. Now, my theory on what they should do is basically. I mean, I think almost every non-elite team should just do best prospect available is take whoever you think is best. And they also, to me, while Devontae Graham had a great year and was, you know, improved, had had this massive improvement, I don't like putting second-year players on my most improved ballot for reasons because second-year players should be getting better a lot more and the, the adjustments and all that type of stuff. But like, to me, I don't think that he or anybody else on this Hornets team, remember, their talent level is low. Like, they dramatically outperformed their point differential this year. I, I think if... Wiseman is on the board and he's the best available player, you take him. If Lamelo is on the board and he's the best available player, take him. And then what's nice for Cupcheck and all that is they have a lot of flexibility moving forward, the Hornets do, and, but they're also not a super desirable free agent place. And so you just, okay, you pencil in that player at that spot for another couple of years and hopefully it works and it's great. And if not, then you move on. And so I, while I think they're less interesting, it's also like I, I, I appreciate the idea that they're going to be getting an important piece. We just don't know exactly who it is. And honestly, who it is, it matters a lot in the like meta conversation. But in the immediate, it doesn't matter as much. So in the case of Charlotte, I would just be taking whatever player I evaluate to have the absolute highest ceiling. Like ceiling and best prospect to me are different things. Yes, I agree. Like I want the player because Charlotte has done well in the last two drafts. They've legit gotten four rotation slash starter guys, right? Last year it was PJ Washington and Cody Martin, who I actually think looked pretty good last year. The year before it was Miles Bridges and Devonte Graham. Like that's probably three starters and Cody Martin, who's going to be a good rotation player who comes off the bench for, you know, five or six years for them. 
if I'm them, like I'm comfortable swinging for the fences on this one because a, my developmental staff is pretty good. Like I have to feel great about the way that Devontae Graham improved in the way that, um, you know, maybe miles Bridges didn't have a great year this year and a big leap, but like, uh, I have to feel good that over the last couple of years, I've proven under this coaching staff, uh, to be able to get the most out of the players that I take. Also, even if I miss on this pick, I have done well enough getting rotational guys to where like, look, it's worth a home run swing. Like it, it is just worth swinging for the fences for them. If I was them, I would just be going whoever I think is the highest upside player who has the most star power for me. That's LaMelo ball for them. Maybe it's James Wiseman. Maybe it's uh, Anthony Edwards. Maybe it's Obi Toppin. And in Charlotte's case, given their draft history, I think there's a real chance that they would evaluate Obi Toppin extremely high. Uh, given his collegiate production and the way that this organization tends to value collegiate production. But whoever I think has the best chance of being an all-star, all-NBA player, or the highest potential to do that, I would take that guy. And I would just not even think twice about positions. Yeah, I, I and I agree with you on focusing on upside for Charlotte, also just because of where they are in the process and where they are as a free agent destination. Like, even if it's a low chance of getting to that really high ceiling, that's the way that Charlotte is going to get those players. You know, they're not they're not going to get a an all NBA player through anything other than dra- the draft right now. Like that is you know, Kemba Walker is a good example of this. Like it's just it's exceedingly unlikely that it's going to happen because think about the normal ways that could happen. They could sign somebody as a free agent or they could trade for somebody who becomes that type of player who was not yet there already. Like a Harden, I guess would be an example there. I don't think either of those other paths is really available to the Hornets. So you just you go you use the opportunities you have to get somebody with a really high ceiling and you aim for that. I agree with you. Yeah, I don't the the interesting question for me, and this is something that we brought up earlier, like how much do you want to stay flexible and mobile and how much do you – because you've been in cap hell for seemingly six straight years, right? How much do you want to stay flexible and mobile versus how much do you want to lock in these specific guys? And the guy that I specifically think of in that capacity is Devontae Graham. Devontae Graham had a great year this year. Do you think that Devontae Graham can be a top 12 point guard in the NBA who can be like a legit difference maker for you as a lead? Because if you don't think that's the case, given what he did statistically this year, averaging like 19 points and eight and a half assists a game as a 22 year old, or I guess he's 24 now, you're probably going to have to pay that guy 20 to $25 million a year in the summer of 2021, because that's when he's hitting free agency. And that's when everyone has money. Do you look to capitalize on Devonte Graham as a trade asset right now and move him to someone because his money, you can fit him genuinely anywhere in the NBA. And that should create an exceptionally high market demand for him. It's definitely a worthwhile consideration And part of why I think having those conversations for the Hornets front office is worthwhile is to see what the value is. You can also get a basic calibration on what his potential free agent suitors could be. And so you get a little bit of a a gauge there. And I think there are a couple different forces that are in play. You're right, though, that their restricted free agents in 2021 should be thinking about their opportunity very differently than guys this year. You know, like we talked about how Malik Beasley is going to be squeezed. However, thinking in the abstract, I'm not looking at team-specific stuff, point guard is an area where there are a lot of teams that I think are fairly happy with their situation. And if they think, if, if those potential ones that aren't, 
think that Charlotte is going to match. He could it's possible that Graham is somebody who withers on the vine a little bit because remember it's like I, I refer to restricted free agency as having to fall in love. Like the guys who get real offers are whether it's correct or incorrect, like you could bring up Sean Marks with Otto Porter or, you know, Alan Crabb, like some of those as being or, or the like the Ennis Kanter troll deal is kind of an anomaly. But it really is about like a team really liking you. And the players who fall short of that threshold, like Marcus Smart, for example, they end up often just being hurt. And so maybe Devontae Graham ends up in the second camp, but I think you're right that somebody would do that kind of offer. So, yeah. Here, I, here I'll, I'll give you a team. Okay. Could the Lakers do Kyle Kuzma and their first round pick this year after they do it or after they use that pick? With Kuzma about to be properly paid, they could, um, but – and Devonte, you could just see Kuzma as an option to move on elsewhere as well. That's kind of my idea. Yeah, I, I think I'd rather hold on to what Graham could be than that. But Kuzma's looked better defensively. I give him full credit for that. Uh, and Kuzma also could fit in with various iterations of the uh, Hornets front court. So, like you could, you know, depending on where they go with at center and everything else like that. I also like with Graham, the thing that he's done that is most interesting is how, how the volume and success that he's had as a pull-up jump shooter. And you don't need that next right. to LeBron James at all. Like that is, that is a, a, a largely unnecessary skill set when he's on the floor. Now, there, there's time when he's not on the floor and the Lakers have been insufficient in those minutes. But yeah, it's an interesting idea. And I also like I, – I, the thing that I like thought process-wise for you there is something that I brought up before, which is two, two kind of two parts of this. One – if your player is about to hit restricted free agency and you don't love where the salaries, where the, where the pricing might go, trade them like that. Of I, unless yeah. you're in a very specific circumstance, like the Warriors with Harrison Barnes because they were a championship contender, and maybe they could have gotten a similar player, you know, similar e, and they didn't win the title that year anyway. But they won 72 games. It's not too bad. And 73 games. It's not too bad. But. The other part of that is, and this is what something I praised Rosas for at the deadline, if money doesn't matter as much to you, trading for players before they're about to be properly paid or overpaid is a real market inefficiency. Yep. And that's something that I think the Lakers should really consider. And even though oftentimes yep. these players are younger and that means they're that means they might not be on LeBron's timeline, I, I like it even if I don't necessarily see it as being perfect for Graham. I like the idea behind it, and I think the team should go more aggressively for it. Or if you're Philadelphia, like, I don't know that Philadelphia, like, number 21 is probably not enough for Devontae Graham. And I don't know what else Philadelphia would have to offer to get Devontae Graham. But, like, could Philadelphia consider something like Al Horford getting off of that money, number 21, and Matisse Thibel? for the year of Shake Milton and Devontae Graham, or the year of um, Nikola Batum and Devontae Graham. Huh. In, in, the case of the, in the case of the Hornets, you get essentially two top 20, you know, top 21 picks for Devontae Graham, one of whom has already shown that he's like a very clear NBA rotation player. And then you just take Al Horford's money on top of that and hope that you can move Al Horford in 2022. <sighs> Yeah, it's a possibility. They might be like they might not have to take Al Horford's money to get like essentially two late first round picks for Devontae Graham, though. So like yeah. I, I'm just like trying to think because they're a team that has cap space and they're a team that like if you're Philadelphia and you're a team that has a lot of money that you might try and get off the books, I would be looking towards Charlotte as an interesting trade partner. Yeah, maybe it's Terry Rozier in the case of Philadelphia. 
I, I like Graham more there because the idea is somebody who can create in the half court if you're keeping Ben Simmons. But For sure. But, I, I mean, like, I don't know if Philadelphia is going to have that luxury to, like, pick, though. You know? Yeah. Like, Philadelphia, like, if they're trying to get rid of Tobias Harris and Al Horford and, you know, Charlotte goes, we'll give you Terry Rozier and Nikola Batum if you give us Tobias Harris, 21-34, and a first-round pick in the future. Like, like that, that might be what they have to do, you know? It probably wouldn't even need to be the first round pick in the future. Maybe it's just 21 and 34 plus Tobias for Batum and Terry Rozier or something, right? Like I'm just like throwing – I'm spitballing names basically right now. Yeah, and I think what's what's so challenging here is how kind of open and flexible all these situations are and fluid. So in some ways it's hard to discuss specifics because we just don't know where the value calibrations are. But it's fun. Right. Right, like, and we don't know where the value calibrations are because we also don't know what the money situation is going to look like in the future. Like, the one thing that we haven't talked about yet, like I kind of noted it, you know, obliquely at the top, is we still don't know when the draft is going to be. Yeah. Like, it's scheduled for October 16th, but it's publicly out there via reports from Woj, Shams, whoever, and this lines up with the people I've talked to as well across the league, like... We don't know if the draft is going to be October 16th. It could be November 16th. Uh, it could stretch into December. Like they're, They really are trying to figure out, above all, when the 2020-2021 season is going to start. Well, I but think more than that, they need to that, know what the salary cap is going yes, to be. Yes, because the salary cap is going to be dependent on collective bargaining. It's not going to be set rigidly by the revenues of this year. And not only right. that, that's one big ripple effect because that affects not only how much draft picks are paid, but also every trade that involves holdover salary and cap space and everything else. But then the other part of it is presumably that agreement will come with some sort of expectation or structure with how they're going to handle things next season. And remember, we've talked a lot about the summer of 2021, but remember, revenues for next season could be very different too. And a lot of that will right. not be clarified by that time. So some of it we won't know. But yeah, I think that I think the reason that the draft is going to be pushed back is not so much this season or the start of next season. It's that teams want to know what they want to know where they're working from and what they're working with financially. And that has to be settled. And it absolutely is not yet. Yeah, no, 100 percent. And that's why having these conversations is mostly conjecture right now, because it's way too hard to know what all of these teams are going to be thinking. And frankly, we don't know what the bottom lines for a lot of these teams are going to be like, yeah, like I'll, I'll give an Philadelphia example. might need to just sell money. Like they might just need to like have less money on their books. Brooklyn could be the same. The Warriors might not use their Iguodala exception for the, exactly the same reason, because when you move the luxury yep. tax line down, the, the same amount of, the same amount of salary commitment is dramatically more expensive. Right. And like, I don't know that the salary cap is going to move down, right? Like it might stay stagnant from where it is this year. Like that would be lower than the projection, right? That I believe the projection is still 115. Yeah. Right? It hasn't changed because they know that they, it's not going to be based on that now. So yeah. Right. So, but, but if it, but I, yeah, I was speaking to it relative to expectations, like what it was, you know, the projections that existed before. And so, yeah, spending having 130 million in player salaries will cost you. Well, 130 million is not a bad example. Let's use 185. 185 will cost you dramatically more now than it would have before. 
And while you can argue, hey, it's the owner's money, and I think to an extent that's true, it also matters if it matters to the owner because they're the ones who might not pay it. And so our part of our job is to predict what teams will do and understanding what their functional constraints are matters. Yeah, 100%. And what I'm trying to figure out is like, Golden State, I think, is a great example of maybe they don't use the Andre Iguodala exception because they don't have fans in the stands, particularly for yes. uh, what is Chase Center is the new Oracle. Um, Toronto is somewhat intriguing in regard to Fred Van Vliet, I yep. think. Especially, like, especially they, if the 2021 cap ends up lower than expected. Like maybe they because if they right. want to maintain flexibility, it might be harder. Right. Like Toronto right now has five guys signed at 80 million or so. And that's not including Fred Van Vliet, Marcus Gasol, Serge Baca. And if they go on to win the title this year, like that's going to be really that's a really tricky situation. Like that, they probably just get rid of the bigs and sign Fred to whatever they have to sign Fred to. But like maybe they do just get maybe Fred gets twenty five million from the Knicks and is like like the uh, Raptors just go look. We would love for you to be the heir apparent to Kyle as our team leader and as our uh, you know, everything that comes with what Kyle Lowry brings to the table in terms of handling the ball and being our primary playmaker, being our true point guard. And, um, you know, you, you could be the next guy behind Kyle and he already in some respects is right. They just might not be able to afford that. And that's going to get really fascinating. Like Oklahoma city is another one. Oklahoma city, uh, has Danilo Gallinari. Who's a free agent. They have Chris Paul, Steven Adams, and Dennis Schroeder at like $85 million or something. Chris Paul in general, like his whole situation is fascinating. Like I wonder if the Knicks get involved there as well. Um, and I wonder if Oklahoma City would be happy to move him because they just have a lot going on right now in terms of money. Well, and they also might want to just pivot as it be, be in a different place next year to kind of set the table for what's happening moving forward. Yeah, there are so many huge question marks. And I'm glad you brought up the Knicks because, yes, they did move down in the draft. But they're still a massive force in the 2020 offseason because they have potentially cap space depending on how they structure all these lightly guaranteed contracts. And because they have a new head coach, they have a new front office in place. And so even if many of us think that they need to be playing the long game, they're not good enough, it's hard for them to get good enough, that doesn't necessarily matter. I mean, if that's not the way that the way that they're going the way that their front office is going to handle it, then okay. Then that's just the um then then potentially they're a Chris Paul destination. They could be in any number of these other conversations. And so I don't know. And there are a lot of a lot of uncertainty here, and I'm incredibly excited about that. I know that like it makes the prediction business harder, but it makes the analysis business substantially more fun. I think that the Knicks are probably the most te- the team I'm most looking forward to seeing what they do. And the reason for that is similar to what you said. They can go out and s- they can give Fred VanVleet a max this summer and still have max cap space the next summer, like easily. Like if they give Fred VanVleet the max. He would be it'd be him, RJ Barrett, and Mitchell Robinson's cap hold, and that's like minimal. They they would have very close to like two max cap spaces, even if they max Fred Van Vliet this summer. And that is a fascinating, fascinating idea to me. That the Knicks could have all and they would have all the Dallas picks to potentially use in a trade to bring in a max player. Like 
the way that they handle this offseason is fascinating. To well, me. and I'll, I'll throw one more thing in there. Fred Van Vliet is on a very different timeline than Chris Paul. But one of the benefits, theoretically, of trading for a CP in their situation is his contract is a lot shorter. So yeah. maybe you move the needle immediately. You get a little bit better. Well, I think it's kind of like cotton candy. You know, you, you, it tastes good now, but then it goes away. Or you could think of something that's more destructive for your body. I think that it's... You know, there is an argument to do that and then clear the decks and then – but maybe you look a little bit better for free agents and you get get a better way to evaluate RJ and Mitchell Robinson and all those guys. And also it doesn't – theoretically, we don't – it's not going to take a ton of assets probably to get Chris Paul because while he had a wonderful year, he costs a ton of money. Like his – as well as Chris Paul played this year and he was at an all-NBA level for me, he's still a negative value contract moving forward. Not only because of his age but because of the injury history and because $41.4 million is a ton of money money for anybody yeah like you legitimately have to be a top five player in the league to be worth 41.4 million dollars chris is a top 20 player in the league right so we you and i could honestly do another hour and a half two hours on this but i think this is probably a good stopping point so i will stop there and thank you so much for taking the time we got through like five teams mostly because i kept going back to minnesota shout out timberwolves shout timberwolves out timberwolves here yeah i mean it's kind of funny you picked the knicks and it's fair as as the team that you're most interested in considering we spent over half of this podcast talking about the minnesota timberwolves but they're gonna well, be the more than one really hold, interesting team the the thesis on the timberwolves is they hold arguably the most cards this offseason because they got the number one overall pick and because they have all of these restricted free agents and a general manager that is going to be as aggressive as possible so they're interesting and the knicks are also very interesting just because they have a new front office right and the knicks have them to me the knicks have the most variability because they have cap space and they have they have this front office that and 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 tibbs as well where they could be they could go short term they could go long term and they could try to do something in between. Whereas like Minnesota, they have so little salary flexibility and I think they're going to be doing variants on a theme. The variance is big, but it's not like the Knicks where also the Knicks part of why they're the, like why you could argue that they're the most important team in this is because they can also shift things for other teams in a way that Minnesota doesn't really like the Van Vliet thing, as you brought up, like they can change, the Knicks can change the price point of players in free agency, which the, the Wolves can't really do. Yeah, that's a really good point. That's a really good point. Okay, well, thank you so much for taking time. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Danny. Thanks again to Sam Vecini for taking the time to come on. You can read his excellent work at The Athletic. You can listen to the Game Theory podcast and anywhere else that he does appearances. And you can also follow him on Twitter at Sam underscore Vecini, S-A-M underscore V-E-C-E-N-I-E. Love having him on. And if you want to support this show, there are a lot of different ways you can do it. You can subscribe, download every episode, whether you're using Spotify or Apple Podcasts or really anything else. Subscription makes the most sense because this podcast will never come out on a specific day. You can't get into a habit with it. So subscribing is a way of solving that. And also you can spread word of mouth. You can also leave a rating, leave a review in the podcast player you're choosing. It's great for Apple Podcasts. Totally understand if it is not. And the single most important thing you can do for the show and any other that has them is to check out our sponsors. Bet online, use the podcast one promo code to tell them you came from us, and to get an awesome sign up bonus. So we all benefit from that. And reminder that at the end of this podcast, you can also listen to Dave Mason and Adam Carolla discuss the return of sports that will be available right at the end of this pod. A lot going on, obviously, in the world and also in in mine. Um, I'm very personally respectful and I mean, honestly, I admire the courage of the players to 
especially considering it was done without like permission or apparently a ton of consent to stand on their principles and to take a couple days to put the focus back on where they feel it should be. And if you want to listen to the podcast I did with Curtis Harris about athletes and activism from earlier in in this year, I think that's definitely worth listening to. And this would be an interesting addendum to that. And athletes using their voice for what they feel most strongly about. And this is, in my opinion, a very, very worthy cause. And there's also, as I said, a lot going on in my world as well. You can check out my writing at The Athletic, doing a lot of the, what I call the solo off-season previews, which are just my own work, not the collaborative stuff that I'm doing with Seth Partnow and Dave Dufour. Those will be coming back as well, but just got got a, a good little push on those. So those those start coming out, I think early next week and then there's a there's a batch of those on the eliminated teams they should keep rolling on as teams get knocked out of the playoffs which of course will continue dunked on as i talked about last week dunked on prime is starting we are nate and i are moving to a primarily subscription model we're going to be four times a week subscription one time a week free and also of course that episode the free one will be available without advertiser for the subscription folks dunked on prime you can check it out i have tweets about it nate has tweets about it dunked on prime.supportingcast.fm pricing and all that and pricing will change when we get to the subscription data the year-long things now is at a cheaper price than it will ever be but there will be monthly available and financial hardship monthlies available for those who need that nate and i are also doing the live show the nba cast not anymore for right now with uh, the NBA when we're doing the League Pass ones because there are no League Pass games in the United States right now, so we don't have that flexibility, but we are still doing the NBA cast where you can sync up, use Periscope, YouTube, Twitch, really any of those, and we answer questions with all of them, so if any of that interests you, we can wa- we're can we watching games and the schedule should be posted now that we're kind of getting a sense of when everything's going to be, we can start sharing that as well. And last thing, you can check out after the show, there's the interview with Dave Mason and Adam Carolla talking about the return of sports and everything else. You can listen to that as well. And if you have any feedback on this show, good, bad, or indifferent, NBA at gmail.com is the way to share that with me. Twitter is too ephemeral, so if you take the time to write it on an email, I will definitely read it and I will respond if I can, but I promise that I'll read it. Your time is valuable to me, and so if you take the time to do it, that's where it goes. So thank you so much for listening. Thank you for all your support. Take care and make it a great day. Uh, Dave, are you on? I am on. How do I sound? You sound like a coward. No. Oh, what? wow. No, you sound good. Nice. Um, so sports reopening, things are getting back going. I mean, there's NBA's kind of, kind of fun watching from the bubble. I, I haven't, I haven't, I don't mind it that much. I don't know. Dave, Brian, you guys watch sports. What do you, Dave, what do you think watching NBA playoffs from the bubble? I like it. I, you know, it's, it's, uh, the action is great. I mean, it's, it's, um, I think they did a pretty good job with it, actually. It looks a lot better than I thought it would. It, I thought it was going to have that high school gym feel to it. But, you, you know, you watch it. It's, it looks looks pretty good. It almost looks like you're watching a game in front of fans, you know, it, just with the sound and everything. So I'm pleasantly surprised by it. And, and once again, the action's been great on it. So, uh so uh, no 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 complaints there. People have been chomping at the bit the last few months to get some action down, and they're back in full force. So we love it. Do uh, I don't think it's hurt the UFC from what I can see. The UFC feels fine. I mean, watching it, I don't. Baseball feels a little weird because this is big empty yes. stadiums. Uh, I don't know what football's gonna feel like. NASCAR feels kind of fine. I don't know, Brian. What do you think? 
I watched, so I haven't watched a single second of basketball, partially because the Warriors are not playing this year in the playoffs, and partially because it just feels weird. Uh, but I did watch a bit of baseball, and there is the crowd noise piped in, and maybe this is the sound effects guy speaking uh, very specifically. As, as hard as they're trying to do the sound effects of the crowd, they're not timing it right. They're not getting like, like they should be booing when the, when the pitcher throws over to first for the third time, the visiting pitcher. The, the, the crowd noise should escalate or, or rise based on hits and extra base hits and stolen bases, but they're not doing it. It's just fucking crowd noise that occasionally gets a little louder. It's, it's more distracting than if it was empty. It was funny. I was. I, someone sent me a tweet. It's like he said, uh, Trump's golfing when he should have been thrown out the first pitch at the Yankees game. And I was like, he probably just didn't want to hear the sound effects guy playing the booze. You know, and the sound effects guy's like, hey, I'm just doing my job. You know. Yeah. <laughs> When the pitcher uh, when the pitcher wipes off too many too many signals, eventually I have to hit the boo button. And yeah, when the catcher comes out to talk on the mound, I hit yeah, the boo button. And when Trump gets out there, I gotta hit the boo. Is it, yeah, you're simulating real life. <laughs> so, uh, Dave, a lot of what has your scene been like at uh, Bet Online? Like, is it a lot of pent up, a lot of pent up action, and now it's all kind of getting released on the uh, basketball playoffs? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it was a challenging few months for everybody. Uh, you know, we, our casino numbers were through the roof. Our poker numbers are through the roof. And we were grinding on the on the sports scene. But now that they're back, I mean, players are just coming back in full force. I mean, even the sporting events that were going on during the down months, like the, those UFC cards were just, I mean, we were setting record numbers. That, that Masvidal card, that was a, the, by far the biggest bet card we've ever done here at, uh, at Bet Online. So, but yeah, I mean the baseball action is great, NHL action is great, NBA is awesome. Uh, these golf event tournaments are through the roof, and you know NFL's what three weeks about three weeks NFL starts. Uh, college football, we'll see, but as long as we have NFL, we'll, we'll be rocking and rolling. Yeah, you know the only problem with the COVID nineteen in the NFL. Uh, for me, traditionally, best time to see. There's two reasons I love the NFL beginning. Uh, I love hanging out and watching the games with uh, the usual suspects. And it usually marks the end of the summer. And the summer always goes out with a big flurry of heat. You know, there's this Mm -hmm. big, it's always like, oh, man, it's September. It's so hot. How can it be so hot? And then it starts to cool off. And then you grab an IPA and you watch the game. And it has this great feeling to it. And, but here's the problem this year with the COVID-19. Uh, normally when we get to the end of the summer pre NFL season, I'm usually at my lightest weight anticipation <laughs> of packing on the weight for the NFL. I always pack on 15 pounds of the season. Hibernating for the winter. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's hot. You're in and out of the pool. You just, you're just, you're a little leaner at the end of the, the summer. And then the NFL hits and it, the hot wings and the pizza and the IPAs. And then I uh, always pack on 15 pounds. Now I'm heavy going into the foot into kickoff of the football season, so I may be morbidly obese oh now at the end of the NFL season, and that's 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 an issue. Um, hey, Dave. Yo. Um, what time is it wherever you're at? I'm curious. And then Brian. Has a question. Um, I, I'm on. I'm on Mountain Time, so I guess that's what an 2:30? hour. Yeah. Oh, that's it, huh? Oh, I didn't know that. I'm almost at mid-afternoon nap time once I get off this call. <laughs> Sorry, uh, Brian, yes? Yeah, Dave, you're a betting guy. What what odds would you give 
I, I guess it's a, it's a rough question you can answer in parts. Well, what odds would you give for like a full college football season happening? Partially, like, uh, you know, just the SEC and maybe the, you know, I don't know, the ACC playing or a postponed season. If you had to, you know, maybe give odds to those yeah. or another outcome that I might not know of. Yeah, I mean, you know, some some in the Pac-12, Pac they've already, they're not playing. Uh, you know, Big Ten, they're not playing. A couple teams might try to play, but it, it's a mess. We've had those odds up and down. Uh, SEC, we actually put the week one odds up yesterday. Um, they're planning on going forward, but I mean, you know, it's, it's, I think they'll start, but I, I, I put it at a coin flip if, if they actually finish. I mean, it's, well, I was going to say, what do you think about the season getting canceled midway through? The reason I bring it up, Notre Dame today announced they had five kids test positive today for right. COVID. And it's such, Adam, to your point, it's such a different uh, ecosystem, you know, college versus, you know, pros. Pros, you can kind of bubble. Guys are responsible. They're adults. They have homes. These kids are all living together in college, you know, amongst other students, ostensibly, if the schools go back or not. Plus, they're so, not getting paid, too. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the thing. I mean, you know, he's, he's well, yeah, they're not getting paid, they're but dead. yes, these are, these are, well, you, you know, <laughs> some guys are getting paid, but, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's not like their profession yet. Uh, so it, it's a mess, man. I mean, you know, it, it's been a mess for months, changing rules and, you know, you have these bets, you know, the MLB announces they're going from 10 to 16 teams in a playoff the day of the season. I mean, you know, we have odds to make the playoffs, yes, no on the site. And now it's like, well, these odds, we got to blow them the frick up because, I mean, they've gone from 10 to 16 and the odds are based on 10 teams. So it's been like that nonstop. So, you know, what we're trying to do is just make sure the wording's as tight as possible. I mean, we're putting Heisman yeah. odds back up now. Is there even going to be a Heisman? You know, or, or you got to take Pac-12 guys off. Now what do we do with the wagers that were better on Pac-12 players and better – Every day, it's a freaking headache, but whatever. Dave, I'm glad you reminded me of that, because one thing I wanted to ask you next time we talked was, it was a big news in the uh, preseason, uh, uh, spring training when it was going on. There was a prop bet, I think you guys were hosting, about how many Houston Astros would get hit by a pitch this right. year. Are you still honoring that bet for people? Nah, to man, we, I, no, I mean, we, we you, know, I, you know, that's just a prime example. It's just, you know, we, we had a no action that, and, you know, we had people bitching, Oh, I bet the owners like, dude, you know, we, we, that, that's based on 162 games, not 60, for God's sakes. You know sure. what I mean? So, you know, I, but, you know, we've been generous on stuff, too, like the NBA and NHL divisions. How we graded those was we, we graded the winners of each division. Like the NHL didn't even have an official winner of divisions, but we graded the leader um, of the regular season, whatever team was leading those four divisions as the winner, and we know actually everybody else. And we actually ended up doing the same for NBA as well, even though they did technically have a divisional winner. So, you know, we're trying to be as generous as possible in some of the gray area stuff. You know, we graded both sides winners on stuff, you know, winners and no action on the losers and all that crap. But, uh, you know, if it's black, there's just no argument. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's, it's, yeah, it's that's fair. If you're, if you're bitching about that, you're just taking a shot and you can you can the doors over there if you don't want to bet here. The door's over there. Hey, Dave Mason, thanks for uh, joining us. I uh, appreciate it. We'll be checking in soon. 
curious about, uh, we'll get into maybe presidential stuff uh, next time we speak. Oh, I can't wait. Can't <laughs> Thanks. wait. Thanks, Dave <laughs> Mason. It. All right, uh, guys, take care. Thank you. And let me hit uh, Bet Online. No shortage of action with our exclusive partner, BetOnline.ag. MLBs in full swing, NBA. Well, we talked about that. UFC hasn't slowed down, boxing's still good. Uh, NASCAR's rolling along. Bet Online is best odds and lines for upcoming games and matches. Need more? Bet Online has simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC daily. Also, hundreds of live casino games, poker tournaments, best props in the business as well. And uh, you can visit betonline.ag. It's our exclusive partner at Podcast One. Don't forget, use the promo code Podcast One for your free sign up bonus today. Bet online, your online sports book experts.